This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. the communion elements here available every Sunday night. And when we take the elements of communion during our normal services on Wednesday or Sunday morning, we go through a text in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, basically outlining Paul saying, this is what I received in in receiving the Lord's Supper, and this is how it has been communicated to me, and this is how I'm communicating it to you. So what I don't want to happen in this service, because we don't receive the elements together corporately, we don't go through this text together like we normally do, I don't want you to be unawares of what the Lord's Supper means and what it is for you. It it is um, something that we should regularly practice. It's one of the two things that the Lord told us that he wanted us to do. He said, get baptized and partake of the Lord's Supper. Really, I mean, is is the long and the short of it. Yes, love God. Yes, love your neighbors. Yes, love each other. And, and, And all the other things he says, listen to my words, obey what I say. We get that. It's not according to the law. It's according to a desire to have obedience towards our Savior who paid with his life for us. And, and this is one of those things that allows us to consider that and think about that, that this is what it cost him. So in obedience, we exercise that. But I want to go through this this evening briefly before we get into Revelation and, and consider that this is the reason why we, why we do this. This is the reason why we, we have the elements available for you every Sunday evening. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23, you can turn there if you'd like. If anybody needs a Bible, we have Bibles for you. Does anybody need a Bible? We've got extra Bibles. We'll get you a Bible. One, two, Zay. In fact, go ahead, if you'd like to, go ahead and turn there. You guys there? Cool. Verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you. Who did Paul receive it from? The Lord. Lord, Because it's the Lord's Supper. They're the Lord's chips. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pretty straightforward. The body uh, was symbolized in the bread. His body was broken, even though he didn't have a broken bone, uh, Isaiah tells us. His body was definitely broken. And it, it was so bad at, at the um, Eke Homo. Pilate says, behold the man, Eke Homo, here he is, that he was not recognizable. That's how bad it was. He says, my body was broken for you, and I want you to do this in remembrance of me. As life as life goes on, it is an identifying in a Christian country, as much as you can say that now, or whatever, or whatever, who cares? Um, and, and life speeds on and, and, and happens, it is easy to forget the purpose of Jesus' body being broken on a daily basis. And he wants us to remember it regularly. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Key words, new covenant. God had made a new way. He said, behold, I do a new thing. And you're not even going to be able to, you're not even going to believe what I do when I do it. And if you would have told the Jews of the Old Testament that the, that the law was going to be fulfilled through the Messiah and they were no longer going to be held to that standard, it was just faith in the Son of God, they would never have believed you in a million years. He said, behold, I do a new thing and it's going to be like streams in the desert and, and you're not going to believe it if somebody told it to you. He said, this cup of the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, Jesus is coming again. And as often as we take this cup and we take the bread, we honor the Lord in recognizing that he's coming again for his church. And that kind of does tie into tonight a little bit, doesn't it? In Revelation chapter 8. And that's a lot of times people, we understand communion, the Lord's Supper. We just went through it. Pretty straightforward. A lot of people stop there. We stop there on Sundays and Wednesdays. But every once in a while, we'll continue to read down a few more verses, which are pivotal in our understanding of the Lord's Supper. This is very important for us. This is not something that we come and do lightly. This is not going to in and out for lunch, even though I don't do that lightly. That's, that's heavy for me. It's a moment. We don't come here and, and, and just snatch them up and gobble it down. You know, there's some people, we let some of the kids come and drink the rest of the juice and have the rest of the crackers. Some people don't like that. Listen, it's a symbol. I'm not here to argue with anybody. I don't want to offend anybody, but listen, it's a symbol. And if there's anybody I want gobbling up the body and blood of Jesus Christ, it's my little babies every day. And if they understand what it means to partake in the Lord's Supper from a young age, it's only going to benefit more, them more as they get older. So we keep reading down and we see the, the weight of coming to the Lord's Supper. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if another one is hungry, let him, eat, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I, set, I will set in order when I come. What is this saying? What is taking the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in an unworthy manner? What defines that? What does that look like? First of all, this was a dinner. This was a feast. People were coming together, and some people said, you know, I'm going to skip breakfast and eat double at the feast so that I can fill up on some free food, potluck day or whatever. And I'm not bringing anything to potluck. And Paul says, hey, listen, if that's the case, stay home or eat at home. That's not the purpose of this. This is not the point of this. This isn't a homeless shelter deal kind of thing. 
Not that that's bad, that's fine, but it's not like this is, this is an extra uh, provision for you so you don't have to go buy groceries. This is, this is symbolic of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and it has meaning for us. So taking the body and the blood of Jesus Christ in an unworthy manner would be contradictory, which would be contradictory to what it symbolizes in the first place. Which what does taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ symbolize in the first place? Did that sound confusing to you? I confuse myself a little bit, but that happens regularly sometimes. So, In the first place, it is recognizing that his body was broken and his blood was shed for my sins, for my sins. Therefore, if you are continuing to live in unrepentant sin before God, you're willing to say, you know what? I don't care. I'm not worried about, you know, uh, the consequences. And I'm just going to partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm going to live in sin. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to disregard the fact that Jesus gave his life for me. This is what the word says. You're going to be in trouble. God is going to bend you over his proverbial knee. He's going to discipline you. What does that look like? Well, it says that some are sick and it says that some are weak and it says that many of them sleep. Why? Because they live in a state of unrepented sin while, while espousing or claiming to be Christians and gobbling up the body and blood of Jesus at the love feasts. I think we all have to be reminded. You know, there's sometimes, he says, let a man examine himself. There's sometimes that I sit down and, and, and I think to myself, you know what? <clears throat> Is my heart in the right place, Lord? Because <laughs> I don't want to get a spanking. Is my heart in the right place? I want to do this with the right intention. I don't want to just, I don't want it to just become tradition. I don't want it to just become ritual. I want my heart to be so open to what you have for me this season that I'm doing this in obedience. I'm not doing this because I'm part of an institution that says I have to. So I want you guys to think about that. Think about it this week. Uh, meditate on it the next time we receive the elements of communion next Sunday. Um, but make sure that there's really an examining that's happening in your heart. At the end, when we do our last song, make sure that there's a, make sure that there's an examining that happens and you're like, where's my heart really at? You know, not like I just got done doing something sinful. I can't even think of like a silly sin right now. I just got done cussing some guy out on the road for cutting me off. And then I'm in here celebrating the Lord's supper because, you know, I'm a Christian. Does that, make, does that make sense to everybody? Is that okay? Does anybody have any questions? Because I definitely don't mind opening it up and having a little bit of a forum here on, on, on Sunday nights. Does anybody have any questions about that or thoughts? Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Flip over in your right, in, in the right to your Bible to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8, we went through the... <clears throat> seven churches. We went through the, the throne of God in heaven. We went through the, the first six seals. And then tonight we are going to do the seventh seal, which is the prelude to the seven trumpets, which is the prelude to the seven bulls. <laughs> There's a lot going on. And before we get into it, let's, let's go ahead and pray. 
Father, I thank you for these who are here tonight because they're hungry for you. In a literal sense, they've come to partake of your body and blood because the new covenant has cleansed us and washed us and made us righteous because of, of your body and blood, God. So we pray, Father, that, that this time would be honored, that it would be sanctified, that we would set it apart to just seek you and to hear from you. Like we talked about this morning, we want to see what you're doing. We want to hear it. We want to tangibly touch it. We want to know it. And, and we want to be able to be prepared to go out and declare how good you are to the world. So, Father, we pray that you bless your word. It is blessed. We thank you for that worship again, God, the worship at the fruit of our lips. Thank you for this time in your word, studying the word, studying your word and, and, and the worship our heart is making in and through that study. And then also <clears throat> our tithes and offerings to you, God. We want it to be an act of worship and nothing else. You are worthy. You are holy. And we thank you for this gathering here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 8 is the proof text. I don't know if many of you know this, but biblically speaking, there will be no women in heaven. I don't know if any of you have ever heard this before, but there's a verse in chapter 8 that proves that there will be no women in heaven. I'm sorry, ladies, uh, but it's right in the beginning. Let's look at verse number 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. <laughs> Done deal. Bada bing, bada bang. <laughs> bad joke of course there's women in heaven the question is is there going to be men in heaven <laughs> the seventh seal he opens the seventh seal and this is the prelude the opening up to the seven trumpets and there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour now many people wonder what is the silence for um, there's a few people that have uh, opinions about it. We're not really positive. What I find fascinating is that in, in our relationship with God and in our study of the Bible, heaven is outside of the time-space continuum. So there is no time in heaven. So the fact that he identifies a certain amount of time going by in heaven is indica indicatory. Can I say that? Indicates for us that there's a special purpose in him communicating this. And I like this one commentator. What they do is they connect it to one of the feasts. And when the high priest goes in to uh, offer the sacrifice, they say that it would take about a half an hour from the time they went up to the altar, offered it, took burning coals from the altar, put it in the sensor, sen the sensor that we're going to see is coming up a little bit in a little bit later. And then they take it back out. And you remember what was John the Baptist's dad na dad's name in the New Testament? Does anybody remember? What is it? Zachariah. Good job, Bible scholars. And, and why was everybody concerned when Zachariah went into the temple? He went in into the inner, the holy place, and he delayed in coming out. Why were they worried? Because they thought he could be dead. He could be stricken down because of his sins. So if it took about the whole process of a half an hour for the priest to come back out during that entire time that he goes into the temple, fills the censer, comes back out to the people during that entire time, everybody was waiting outside the temple and it was complete silence. Nobody was saying anything. They were just waiting for him to come back out. This was the 
mediation between God and man, the relationship with God and Israel at that time. So this could be indicating that, that, that you know, that, that there was a type, there was a, 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 a plan, blueprints of the temple in heaven and what we don't really understand, we see through a glass dimly, but those plans were given and, and the replica was to be placed on earth. The plans were to be given to Moses. So we see up in heaven, we, we have the real deal and we see that there's, there's a ceremony happening. Something's happening that has been set and people are observing because God says this is the, the process that's going to happen. And, and I think that this is good for us to understand and to think about because God it doesn't just do things willy-nilly. I like that about God. God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. He's going to stick to it. And you know, that's a very, that's a very satisfying and, and, and appeasing thing to consider as well because um, sometimes I don't think he's got it together. Sometimes I'm like, God, I don't know if you know what you're doing, man, but you're kind of messing me up, you know? I was going in this direction, then you did this, and I need that, and you're doing this, and it's the opposite, you know? And he's like, no, I know what I'm doing. You're the dummy that doesn't know what, what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And, and, and we look at verses like this and other parts of Scripture, and we see God knows what he's doing. And he's not going to do it beforehand. He's not going to do it after. He's going to do it at the perfect time. And why are there so many seals? And why are there so many trumpets? And why are there so many bowls? And why are there so many? Why is this process so long? This is why. Because God wishes none to perish. He doesn't want anybody to have to suffer judgment. That's God's heart. And we're going to see also in these coming chapters that we're going to look at that he does everything in his power, literally does everything in his power to prohibit people from being judged for their sins. And they, they blatantly refuse, reject, deny him and walk in the other direction. But God is so merciful and long-suffering. And he goes through this whole process. He's like, I'm giving you another shot. I'm giving you another chance. Give you another chance. Give you another chance. I'm just like, wipe them out, God. I know where I'll be. I'm not worried about that. Just take care of business. He's like, Tim, I know what I'm doing. You still do not. Chapter 8, verse 2, And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a gold censer, came and stood at the altar. So here we have an angel with a gold what? Censer coming to where? The altar, which we see is, you know, we, we do see this picture that given to the Israelites in the Old Testament for their Jewish feast. And we have these seven trumpets. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the altar, upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So what is in the angel's hand? The censer. What is inside the censer? Incense and prayers of the saints are going up with the incense. This is before God, okay? So you got to keep this picture in your mind. The angel's at the altar. He has the censer. It's filled with much uh, incense. Our prayers, the Bible teaches us, our prayers are like incense before the Lord. You guys like incense? I think incense is cool. It smells good. I think incense, um, I used to, I used to, 
I almost said snort, but that's definitely not the right word. I used to use incense and smell it when I was in high school. And, and if I smell the incense that I used to burn in my room back when I was in high school, um, today it takes me right back. It re- reminds me. You know, it's funny how scents can do that, remind us of things. And it says that, that the incense is, is intermingled with the prayers, and the prayers, I believe, are a reminder to God of the cries of his people for however many years, however long. And we have this picture of these seven trumpets. Uh, trumpets are, are proclaiming something. They're, they're preparing to unveil something new. Look at verse 5. If you've got the picture still in your head, then the angel took the censer filled with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. There were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, where does the, ens- where does the censer go? To the earth. He throws it to the earth. I don't get like a flaming, you know, flaming censer hurling its way toward the earth is not a good picture in my mind, you know? So the question is, why are the prayers of the saints represented in God dealing with the earth as a whole? Well, we talked about a little bit this morning that we're the salt and the light of the earth, right? If there's no light, what is there? Darkness. If there's no salt, there's no preservation. The earth at this time is in probably its most deplorable state that it's ever been in. And it's not getting any better. And God is starting the process of having to deal with the earth. But again, he's going to do so in steps so that people might understand and, and receive his mercy. He never does not give them another chance constantly. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. You guys know how powerful prayer is? I don't think that we really understand. And I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I don't think that we really understand how powerful prayer is. I'll never forget the first prayer that I prayed that was answered specifically by God. And then from that point on, well, it was a little later. uh, My wife used to make fun of me because I would say, I had this saying, people would pray and I'd get frustrated because they'd pray these silly, crazy, generalized prayers. Lord, bless this food. God's not going to bless the cheeseburger, bro. Just eat it. Thank him for it. Don't ask him to bless it. It's a contradiction in terms, you know? Be, be mindful about what you're speaking to God because it's not in a scary way. He says every word is going to be taken into account, but in a blessed way, everything is taken into account, right? So be mindful of the things that you pray. Be specific when you talk to God. Be specific when you talk to him so that he can answer you specifically. Would you rather God answer you generally or specifically? Yeah. Well, you asked for a blessed day, so I gave you a a little rain in Vegas. That's a good thing. It's different than praying for something specifically. So I'd say to people, pray specific prayers. So I'm like 10 years old. First time I remember God answering my prayer directly. I'm 10 years old. I'm laying in bed. I'm trying to go to sleep. I have struggled with insomnia my entire life, like my whole life. From I can remember from a little kid crying myself to sleep at night because I couldn't fall asleep and everybody else is snoring. 
I don't know what the deal is. I've always been a night owl. I'd rather stay up late and get up early than go to bed early and get up early. It's just the way that I'm wired, okay? So I'm, I'm laying in bed and I'm praying, God, please help me fall asleep because I want to wake up at four o'clock in the morning tomorrow. So please wake me up at four o'clock in the morning so that I can get up, I can take a shower, I can finish my homework, I can get dressed, and I could be sitting on my bed ready to go when my mom walks in to wake me up at 530 because we'd wake up at 5, 5.30 because I had like an hour and a half bus ride to the school from where I lived out in Pahrump. And, <laughs> and I kid you not, no exaggeration whatsoever. I didn't have an alarm clock as a 10-year-old kid. My mom was my alarm clock, and this is what it was. Timothy, get up, get up, you're going to miss get up. And I felt so bad. I'm like, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm just so tired because I couldn't fall asleep. And she's always like... Kid, you know, my dad would come in. He said, he'd give me one, one warning. He's like, I come in, give you one warning, I leave. That's it. I'm like, okay. And the next warning was, was a, a glass of cold water on the face. And I remember waking up multiple times with a glass of cold water. I remember one time I was sleeping and I know I'd gotten the warning and I actually heard the water going through the air. And I went, no. And he started laughing at me, of course, if you know my family has sick humor. And he's like, man, you heard the water. I'm like, get out of my room. I hate you. I didn't say that. He would have killed me. But no exaggeration. The next morning, I'm laying in bed. It's pitch dark, dark outside. It always is every day when, I, when we would get up. I opened my eyes and I looked over at my clock and it said four zero zero. Four o'clock in the morning, I was wide awake I was like, oh, man. Like, I don't know if I was surprised or just like, oh, thanks, Lord. You know, <laughs> sweet. Like, that's what I asked, and that's what you did. So I got up and took a shower, and I got dressed. And what did I do? I went back to bed. <laughs> and my mom came in to wake me up, and she opens the door, and she's like, Tim, wake up for school. And I was like, whoop, and I was already dressed and ready to go. She's like, look, how come you're all ready to go? And I was like, because I was up this morning at four. I already took a shower and I got ready to go. So God, you know, in his grace and mercy demonstrated to me that specific prayer is powerful in a believer's life from a very early age. And if this is how, if this is how important it is, when we see the end times and God's judgment on the world in the end days, and, and the catalyst for that being his saints crying out to him for his kingdom, that's pretty cool picture. Although like the big picture is kind of tough because it's still judgment, but, but, the, but the bigger picture is cool because we're a part of ushering that in. And there's other verses in the New Testament that say that we can hasten his coming by, by being diligent, praying and seeking him and doing the things that we're supposed to do and witnessing for him, being a witness of him. It's a really roundabout point that I made there, but I wanted to tell you the praying story because it was pretty sweet. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded and hail and fire mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. A third of the trees on the earth. If you guys think the fires that California is having are bad right now, you don't want to be around when this happens. A third of the earth is a lot of the earth. 
all the green grass. And these trumpets are going to be, the first four trumpets are dealing specifically with the planet itself, as you can see. Uh, there are people that are going to be affected, but it's because the, the planet is, is, is what the sensor has been thrown at, what, what the focus is right now. So the first thing is, is the trees um, and the green that's burned up. And a second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now notice that each time we look at one of these right now, it always speaks about a third, a third, a third, okay? <clears throat> also, he's talking about the earth. This one affects what? What is this one affecting? The, the ocean, the sea, and, and notice that there's been many people over the years asking which things are allegorized, which things are literal. Allegory is like a picture of something. It's not exactly the thing. And it's really easy to tell in the book of Revelation which things are symbolic of something or an allegory of something and which things are specific. When he's talking about trees, what do you think he's talking about? Pretty simple trees, right? The, the, the vegetation of the, of the earth. When he says in the next one, he says, uh, and something like a great mountain burning with fire, what do you think he's talking about? You think he's talking about a great mountain burning with fire? No, no because it, what did he say? It's like. This means like, this is the best I can come up with because I've never seen this before. I have no idea what it is. But it's like this. And there's other parts of scripture that talk about uh, a mountain being um, a, a country. And there's other parts of the scripture that talk about um, the sea being people of the world. But we can't be talking about those things figuratively or right here because the, the like a mountain burning with fire thrown into the sea is because we see that there's sea life, sea creatures and vessels, ships that are destroyed. So, so we know that we're talking about most likely the sea, like the water, because the sea creatures are affected, ships are affected. The planet itself has, has been put through something that's going to affect the rest of humankind on the planet. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers on the springs of the water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Now, um, what exactly is this star falling from heaven? Um, Jesus talked about a star falling from heaven, didn't he? Does anybody remember... Um, very good, Terry. Man, you're skipping a beat. He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Also, he's a, he's a, a fallen angel. So some people believe it could be speaking about Satan. Um, there's, there's a definite literal fulfillment of water that needs to be consumed. Like you have to drink water to survive. So everybody, we're going to stock up on those little life straws. So if the water's wormwood, we can still drink it. Have you seen those before? They're pretty cool. Grant's got one. I watched him drink out of a lake with it. I don't know if it will work though. So, <clears throat> but something that is necessary for life on earth, all of these things are things that, that we kind of, um, they're out of our control, um, but they're, they're a constant involved. There's a constant. So you get the trees, you take advantage or, or you take the trees for granted until a forest burns up. 
right? Or, or, or you like to see, some of you guys are beach people. I don't know why. We live in Vegas. You don't, you don't go lay out in the sun when you live in Vegas. It's just two plus two, right? You go somewhere where there's no sun. You go to Seattle for vacation. But I'm just kidding you guys. But, um, you know, you have the water, you have the beach, a constant. You kind of know what to expect from it till a tsunami comes, right? So they're constant, they're, they're, they're enjoyable for life until something devastating happens. It's like an earthquake. Nobody thinks about an earthquake until after it happened. Well, now they are. Engineers are building buildings that can survive earthquakes, you know, finally, because earthquakes before would wipe out tens of thousands of people, when, when they would happen. It's something that we, we take for granted on a daily basis, but when it happens, it happens hard. And here we have another one, the water being affected, drinking water and people not being able to drink water. You can go a long time without food. You can't go very long without water. Then the fourth angel sounded <clears throat> and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. So that a third of them were darkened a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So here we have this third of the day darkened, and there's a celestial thing happening that people, uh, there's definitely going to be a sign like something's wrong, something's going on. This is not right. He's, he's shaking creation, if you will. Because remember, the heavens and the stars were made for our benefit in Genesis. It says that he created them for us to have light in times and seasons. He, he invented time by placing us in a solar system that we can track uh, how long it takes for things to happen. But then we have this angel. In some early, early Greek translations uh, spell this eagle, which the word for eagle and angel is very, very, very similar. And some of the oldest translated eagle, does that change the text or, or, or mess us up at all? Not really. Something's flying and proclaiming that there's woe coming up. And usually when you have somebody warning you about some, something, you change or take a different direction. This is why I love GPS nowadays. You're driving down the road, my GPS will pop up and tell me, I used Waze forever. You guys know Waze? I'm a king on ways, like I earned points to be a king. So I've got a little crown whenever I drive around. And I like ways because it's user-based. Uh, user so if I see something happening real time, I put it in the app and it alerts everybody what's happening. So if I'm driving down the road and it says, you know, I've got, I've got an appointment or a meeting with somebody down at Town Square and I'm going from the church to Town Square and it says that there's a five-car pileup on Sunset and, and it's not going to take me five minutes to get to Town Square. It's going to take me an hour and a half. What am I going to do? I'm going to adjust my route. But the hearts of man are so hardened. I can't even understand this. The hearts of man are so hardened that even with warnings coming out, like this is what's going to happen, you guys. This is what's going to happen. Get ready. And they're like, that's not going to happen. We don't care because we're in charge and nobody judged us but God. 
yeah, that's the point. Like, we're trying to warn you. Like, you, you, you say that as if, as, as if it's a good thing, but it's not a good thing ever. And, and you need to be careful because the, the next woes are even worse than, than the former ones. And here we have uh, the woes starting the next page in chapter 9. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them were given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Now there's two possibilities at this point for the people who could be sealed by God on their forehead. What are the two possibilities? Anybody want to take a stab? 144,000 that we looked at a few chapters ago that are supposed to be Israelites that are chased and set apart for God and possibly anybody who has gotten saved in this process of devastating things happening. They wouldn't be automatically taken right up to heaven, but most people would agree in our theological eschatological circle, most of us would agree end times that the rapture has already happened. So none of this is stuff that we're going to have to worry about. We're going to be in heaven with God. We're going to be viewing this from above and God is going to be dealing with the people's hearts that are so hardened and the people who are on the earth, 144,000 or those who have submitted to God and surrendered to him through faith in Jesus Christ, they will be protected from this plague. Just like we saw in uh, the book of Exodus with the children of Israel specifically the angel of death, but none of the plagues affected the children of Israel. It only affected the Egyptians. And God always takes care of his people. Uh, judgment by God is not reserved for his children. Judgment is reserved for those who have categorically denied, rejected, and walked away from him. And even though he doesn't want to do it, they put him in a position where it's already too late and the process is going to be started. So those who have the seal of God in their foreheads are going to be spared and they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the lotus was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew, Abaddon, and in Greek is, has also the same Apollon. So we have this very vivid picture of the bottomless pit being open. Now this is, this is 
Hebrews chapter four, I believe, milk manna stuff. And what, we, what we're talking about is there's some things like as a young believer that we need to be taking in. It's the milk of the gospel. It's, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. It, it is, is getting our feet underneath us as far as getting to know God because we are known by God, him revealing himself to us. It's Sunday morning, kind of lighter, even though I... You can turn it up sometimes even on Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's a little bit more digestible for a baby in the faith. This stuff right here, this is T-bone steak, maybe a little overcooked. People are still chewing on it from a few centuries ago. And I don't mean to say that because it's confusing or it's more difficult. It's just we cannot pin down exactly what he's talking about. Are these literal locusts? possibly. Why is the description so vivid and clear? We don't know. You look at a, a locust itself, and have you ever looked at a locust before in the face? I used to do it because I lived in the desert, so I'd pick them up, I'd look at them, I'd eat it, I wouldn't eat it. But if you look at a locust in the face, it almost looks like a, like a human face. It's got the big eyes, it's got the little cute antenna, and if you don't believe me, go watch that one movie, Ants, or whatever it is. Bugs Life, yeah. But you know, it kind of has like a similar kind of, kind of look to it. But be that as it may, it doesn't matter because we're not 100% we're not sure what it does mean. But this is something that, this is the harder part that I want to bring up to you. The easy thing for me to say is, there's some pit on the earth. There's a bunch of wisey, wild, crazy creatures in it. And in the end times, God is going to unlock the door and let them out and there's going to be new discovery to us. I just read this article um, the other day that said, and I don't know how true it is. I kind of balked at it a little bit, to be honest. That said, we've only uh, discovered 15% of all the different species of life in the ocean. Like in the entire ocean, we know of 15%, and they're still like discovering all these things. So we fall upon a pit full of locusts. No big deal. Like it's possible. Have you gone down to like the Suez Canal or the bottom of the ocean and seeing what those things look like down there? Like the angelfish with the little thing, with the big teeth. They look otherworldly. They look crazy. So is it possible? Absolutely. It's not a big deal for me. It's not even hard. The, the, the second view, and, and one that I think I'm a little bit more predisposed to, is, is that there was one place that, that the demons, when they were being driven out of people by Jesus, when he was casting them out, there was one place that they did not want to go. Do you remember where that was? They didn't want to go to the Abuso. They didn't want to go to the, the, the place where they were going to be bound, held, and chained. So the idea is, and I've had this question come up, you know, many, many times through ministry. They say, how come we don't see people demon-possessed like we did in Jesus' day? You know, when, when the cross of Jesus Christ happened, it, it categorically changed what we know life to be today and what life was like back then. I think the demonic... Uh, 
dimension and presence back then was much greater than it was now. And, and Jesus, by his blood and, and the power of his blood, really reigned in the darkness of, of Satan and, and, and the dark kingdom. And I think that in the end days, there's going to be quite possibly an opening up of that again. Because look at this language here. This is pretty strong. He says... Uh, Verse 11, they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in a Hebrew is Abaddon. This guy who's being chained there, who's waiting there, he's not a good guy. <laughs> we, we don't know if it's Satan himself or if it's one of his, because we know that they have ranks, if it's one of his top generals. But this dude is not a good dude. And, and some commentators would agree and say that this is really an... an a giving people over to what they had given themselves over to to a more to a more extreme degree. Like if you want to have idols, you want to worship demons and other gods and all this stuff. Here, here's the ones I've been trying to keep from you, you know. And and there's this just this demonic presence that comes on the earth that is so severe that their effect on people they won't have any effect on the environment. See, this is changed from planet Earth and the environment to man specifically. They won't have any effect on the earth or the things on the earth except for man. But but they will affect in it looks like some kind of oppression to where they're going to suffer for at least five solid months. And it's, the oppression is so bad, whether it's physical, whether it's pain inflicted, whether it's uh, demonic oppression, that they are going to want to die. They're not going to want to live, but that privilege is not going to be given to them. They were going to suffer through that time period until they make through it. That's the first woe. Verse 12, uh, one woe is past. Behold, still two, still two more woes are coming after these things. So we had the four up front earth, and then we had the three uh, woes. You remember the, the angel said, woe, woe, woe. He, he says it because of the three woes. Each, he gives each woe its own woe, like woe. Verse 13, woe, man. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. Look at that. That's the kind of verses that I, when I read that, I underline it. The day and the hour and the month and the year, like specifically like these four angels were reserved for this perfect time like this perfect moment. God knows what he's doing. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them and thus I saw the horses in the vision. The horses in the vision, those who sat on them, had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. 
By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and by the smoke and by the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads with them. They do harm. Now, many people would like to take these things because they're either symbolic or he didn't know exactly how to describe an Apache helicopter. That's one of the most common things that people would try to relate. So he's seen a vision. He's seen an Apache helicopter you know, or like maybe the locusts and shooting missiles, pew, 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 fire and brimstone. Could it be World War III? Possibly. Could it be something uh, different, looking different? Sure. Could this also be a demonic presence, representation? Ah, I don't know. When we look back through scripture, I had a, a list of, uh, I think, 10 references that I'm not going to be able to go into tonight. I, I wanted to, but I'm not going to have time. But I have a list of at least 10 references of all the different things that happen at this location in the Euphrates River and how it significantly ties in with what we're looking at here with the four angels that are being released at the Euphrates. And the, the comparison is, is interesting. So 200 million man army. At one point in history, China boasted a 200 million man militia, but people laughed and said, no, we don't believe you. It's not possible. Is it possible? Maybe of all the fighting forces in the whole world at the peak of World War II, everybody included combined lumped together, we had about 75 to 80 million people at war at that point. So now we're talking about 200 million. And could this number be so high because it's more of a representation of a demonic force that's released than, than a military force? Whatever way you want to cut it, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. And you and I do not want to be here. That's why we're here tonight in church reading about it. And we're like leaving notes Read my Bible, Revelation chapter 9. Read these verses. And they're like, whoa, this stuff is really happening. Yeah, it's really happening. But if we're not around to tell people and they've already hardened their hearts, that's going to be a bad spot for them. Another interesting thing, remember the man that after Jesus crossed over with his disciples to go to um, the, the, the demon-possessed man in the Gadarene tomb, do you remember what the demon's name was when Jesus asked him? Legion. You know what a legion is? It's a whole lot of troops. And they said, please, please don't, don't put us away to, to where we, we don't want to go. There was a place they didn't want to go. We don't know where that is exactly, but there's a place they didn't want to go. Please cast us into the swine. And he casted them into the swine and they ran off the cliff. And we on our tour bus drove right by the location where these people would be shepherding these pigs, these swine, and where they would have jumped off these cliffs into the Sea of Galilee. And I got to see it and it's so exciting. You should come to Israel next year with us. So if one person, one man can contain a legion, imagine 200 million, the presence, the demonic presence. You guys don't want you ever been around demonic presence before? You don't want to be around that kind of stuff. These people are finally, listen, this is simply God giving people what they, literally what they asked for. Not like, not in a figure of sense, like you're going to get what you asked for. No, like you're actually, they're getting what they wanted. They were asking, they were seeking these things. And, and God's like, you don't, like, you don't understand how wicked and evil this stuff is. All right, here you go. Check it out. 
that the end's coming, and here's the part of the process. A third of mankind was killed by the fire, by the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons. Well, there you go. That's the verse I keep referencing right there. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You can't imagine how hardened these people have to be where they're willing to reject God to such a degree that even when the, the evil is being poured out on the earth, tenfold, 100%, they're still so hardened that, that they, they, they won't be moved by it. And it reminds me again, like of the Egyptians. Pharaoh would not repent. He would not uh, led in and, and allow the people of God to be delivered. Chapter 10, I wanted to get through 10 and 11 tonight, but I think we're only going to be able to do 10. Let's see. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a rainbow. And a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had a little book in his hand. And he set his right hand, his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Then he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Oh, darn it. Do you know that there are people that are diligently trying as hard as they can to figure out what the seven thunders said? And I'm like, how dumb can you be? Like, if God says that he's going to seal something up because he don't want you to know about it, you ain't going to find out what it is, period. And anything that you come up with is going to be a, a smack in the face to God. He didn't want you to know, and you're not going to know. There's a lot of things uh, that are mysterious or mystery in the scripture. There are many things that are revealed. Why not spend time on the things that have been revealed instead of the things that have not been revealed? Because the things that have been revealed have been revealed in purpose, for purpose, for our benefit. And that's what God wants us to focus on anyway. So any, anyway, this angel, one foot on the land, one foot in the sea. He's a big guy. It reminds me of Pacific Rim. You guys see that movie? You guys, no, nobody saw Pacific Rim? Oh man, Isaiah, we're losers. There's these ginormous robots in the future that like they like guard certain parts of the earth and they're so big that they can like walk through the ocean. And there's the, what are they like? Bad guys from outer space come and they like beat them up. It's really interesting. But, but, but what the angel with his right foot on the land and his left foot in, in the sea, he's really demonstrating his authority over all the earth. Because you know anybody that has his one foot on land and one foot in the sea and is standing there like this with his arms, you know, folded with a halo of rainbow around his head, you know, like he means business. Like it's no joke. He has authority over the earth. And he says, uh, um, he starts to speak these seven things. He's speaking it over the earth. And then it's told, John, do not write those down, seal them up or write them down and seal them up. It's for a different time. And the angel 
whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that they should no long that, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Again, another series of verses that assure us that God has had a plan from the beginning. He has been communicating it to mankind. There should be no surprise in the future to us because he has revealed this to us. And and this is what it says. It says that this angel that has been given authority over the earth, some people believe it's Jesus. Jesus has never referred to as an angel of the Lord in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he used to be, and he was. But in the New Testament, we don't have any account of him being referred to as the angel of the Lord. But, but now, this angel, if it's an angel, if it's Jesus, has spiritual, physical authority over the earth. And he says, what's going to happen? He says, no longer will I what? Delay. Key word there. What has God been doing for thousands of years? He's been delaying. He's been delaying the inevitable. He's been putting off what we so deserve. I have a favorite verse in Psalm 52. It's talking about how the wicked are going to be plucked out of the land. And at the end, there's these verses that are my verses. And it says, but I'm like a green olive tree planted in the courts of my God because your mercy endures forever and you will do it. God's mercy endures forever, especially primarily to those who are submitted to him in truth. His mercy is me not receiving what I deserve. And I can assure you that I deserve much worse than the place that I find myself in today. I deserve a lot worse than where I'm at. But by God's mercy and by his grace, he's like, Tim, I'm just going to chalk it up to your dummy and we're going to keep moving forward with you. And I would get frustrated sometimes like, God, I'm so dumb. How come I how come I can't stop? How come I can't break out of this cycle of thinking or whatever it is? And, and, and you know, I've had the Lord speak to me before. And he says, Tim, just keep going. Just keep going. Yes, I forgive you. Stop doing it. Go and sin no more, but don't stop. You keep going forward. You keep pushing. You keep fighting. We're in this together. Man, I need to hear that from the Lord. You know, I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm a dummy. We're going forward. God is good. His mercy endures forever. I mean, he's tried. He's tried to be merciful throughout history. This goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. I mean, just, I mean, just, you know, the two people, flick, flick, make another two, get it going again. You know, Noah floods the whole earth. The Tower of Babel, throughout history, mankind is pushing against God that created them in his own image. And he has been delaying and delaying and delaying. So if we look at this book and we are tempted at any point to say that God is a severe God, that God is a judgmental God, that God is an unfair God, that God is a mean God, shame on us. No way he's gone above and beyond and done everything in his power to make a way for us. And it's we 
who have kicked against the goad, denied his name, pushed away, and gotten things back on our own agenda again. Can I get a witness? That's how it's been. That's how it's been. I will delay no longer. Now the process kicked into high gear. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book, angel. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. Could you imagine, you know? Hey, give me that book in your hand. All right, buddy, here. Go ahead, take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. Because when there's a giant angel standing in the middle of the earth and you just told him that you want his book and he told you to eat it, you're going to eat it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, okay, I'll eat the book. Just like he said, tasted sweet, turned his stomach, was sour. And he said to me, you must prophesy against Again, about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Or not, I wanted to, but we, we can't do it. So that wraps us up for tonight. Um, Revelation is a scary book for some people. I want to end with this. We're getting into the thick of it, right? I want to end with this. The only thing that God really cares about with you the only thing that really genuinely, genuinely concerns God is the state and condition of your heart towards him. Period. That's it. Everything else doesn't really matter whatsoever. He just wants to see your heart towards him. God, we believe that you saved us by the perfect sacrifice from our sins. We believe you want to engage with us, that you love us. We believe that you have a plan. We want to be part of that process. We want to be praying people. We want our prayers to go up like incense. Big picture, God is going to take care of you and there should be no concern or worry about you incurring the judgment of God whatsoever after we read these things tonight. And if there is any concern whatsoever, then you need to get on your face and make sure that your heart is right before God. And at the time that your heart is right before God, then you too will know that you have nothing to worry about. But do not hold the things of this world in one hand that you want and that you cannot let go of and the things of God in the other hand and wrestle to try to manage both of them at the same time. Because the, the quicker that you lose those things of the world, the, the, the sooner that, that God restores those things to you in the spirit. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. But we're so scared of letting go because we're going to lose it that we don't do it. And then by faith, we have less than we would have if we would have just listened to God in the first place and let him take care of us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you for this book, Revelation. Thank you, Lord, for these faithful brothers and sisters. It's so sweet to see their faces been a long day. Maybe some of them had work today or whatever the case may be, but, but you called us to come together tonight. We came together and, and we were blessed in your presence. So Father, empower us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to go out this week to be your witnesses, to declare your goodness to people. 
and to talk about how you've manifested yourself to us, Father, in Jesus' name.